But let's be honest, this sermon series has not been very positive, has it? No, it hasn't. But here's what I appreciate about it. What is positive is everything that God has done. Everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done and everything that he wants to bless us in through his Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for that. And I think what's interesting about maybe coming to that conclusion is that's reality. I think maybe that's something we need to take a moment and think about. The only thing that is good in life is directly related to God. Period. I mean, aren't we told he's the giver of all good things? With him, there's no shadow of changing. He's immutable. He does not change. Absolutely. And I wonder sometimes if maybe the difficulty we find in life is because we have risked placing a great deal of hope in things that won't last and won't matter. You know, I was talking with someone about a story. Somebody talked with them and said, I'm questioning God because my parents passed away. My question is, is what else were they supposed to do? I mean, let's be honest. I'm not trying to be crude, but live forever? With the Lord, yes. Apart from the Lord? No. And sometimes we've placed our hopes in a lot of things that we expect to be normal and right, and we claim them to be true, or this is what I live for, or this is the hill that I die on. And I think where maybe we find a lot of disappointment in life is that these things are placed in every corner but the corner of the Lord Jesus Christ. My fear is what kind of grip those things have on our lives. We live in a world that has been carefully orchestrated. Any of you ladies sew, cross-stitch, knit? Anybody make quilts? I love quilts. Let's talk, okay? But there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot that goes into tediously threading in and out, making sure that things are tied off, try not to prick your finger in the process. There's a lot that goes to it. What's that? Seam ripping? I don't even know what that is. Is it complicated? (laughs) It involves sharp objects. I need to stay away from it. Okay. That's not anything different than what Satan's done in this world. He has carefully placed people, events in history. I mean, can we honestly look at the rise of Lenin or Stalin or Hitler and say, Man, God loved that. God loved it when all those people died. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None. Death does not please him. And yet what we find today is society is so enraptured with how other people think about me. What are other people's opinions about me? This is the struggle, and this is what we're going to look at today. It may seem like that we're kind of stalling out on a point. But I think it's important because what we're going to look at is actually what's in the deepest recesses of every one of our hearts, and that is idolatry. The battle is always going to be between Yahweh God, the creator of all things, Genesis 1-1, and idolatry that's in our hearts. And the reason why we like idolatry is because though we want to claim that it's superior, it's actually 
comfortable, and we can manipulate it. Think about it. If you worship something other than a God that you can't control, you have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. You can just mold him however you want to. Have you ever heard people say, well, I don't think God would, and it's the most left-field thing you've ever heard in your life? Share that with me. What, what are some of the things you've heard? I don't think God would ever... I don't think God would ever let kids get abused. Does God allow sin to happen? It's terrible, isn't it? Why do you think God allows for sin to happen? We do have a choice. We have a choice to sin or to not sin. He's patient, he'll take care of it later. We often come into a situation thinking that we know everything about the situation and how it should handle. Now, I don't have that problem, but I know some of <laughs> Just kidding. <sighs> you know I have that problem. Problem's bad. But God knows everything. All of it. One of his basic attributes is his omniscience. And so situations that we look at as horrible, heinous, awful. Yes, it is building an incredible case against mankind for their condemnation. Because our choices, the thoughts and intents of our hearts are always evil continually. We're not any better than the days right before Noah's flood. And the way that God saw best to rectify that problem was judgment. Can't get away from it. The wrath of God. As long as we have sin, we'll have an expectation of his wrath to come and deal with it. So when we talk about this seeming tug of war that we have between Yahweh God and idolatry, we're actually talking about what it is to worship him in spirit and truth and what it is to worship our flesh as what we think to be a suitable substitute. Now, Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. 16 was our memory verse for last month. 17 is our memory verse for this month. And I'm going to ask us if we wouldn't mind to read 16 and 17 out loud. And then I'm going to read 18, and I'm actually, Mitch, going to go all the way to 27 here. And the reason is, is because I need to show you how this is structurally set up. Uh, in fact, the more and more that I read over it, looked over it, that's the interesting thing about God's Word. You can just keep looking over the same passage over and over. You find incredible things that God wants to show you. Uh, I realize that maybe I had phrased this a little poorly in my sermon titles when I was trying to prepare this beforehand in the little booklets that you have. So if we can, start in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. Now here's what we need to understand structurally about this. If you look at verse 23 and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image, and you look at verse 25, 23 and 25 are speaking of the same thing, okay? And 25 is what we're going to hammer in on today and deal with. Verse 24 When it says there, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. 24 is better explained in 26 and 27, which is what we're going to talk about next week and deal with for a few weeks about this problem dealing with homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, pedophilia, incest, all of these types of things, we're going to work through all of it about the sexual deviancy that springs out of this. But what we need to understand right now is that 23 and 25 go together. Does everybody got that? Now, if you have a sermon booklet that we handed out in order to take notes, number one, if you don't have one, would you raise your hand? We want to try to get one in your hand. But if you would, take that and turn to the very last page in that sermon booklet. You're going to have a chart. Anybody need a sermon booklet? Anybody need one? Okay, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Where you guys been all this time? Nine? There we go. We need nine of them, Dwayne. Great. Excellent. All right, where are we at? Let's raise our hands. Okay, here's one. Would you mind to please pass this down? Thank you so much. Up here, would you mind to pass this down, please? Thank you. Right here. There we go. Who else? Pam? We go, we raise it down, and if you wouldn't mind, charge down there. Who else needed one? Right here. Here we go. If you wouldn't mind, pass it down. Thank you. Who else? Who else? Get your sermon things, whatever they're called. I feel like a popcorn guy, Cracker Jack at the baseball. Anybody else? We good? Oh, right here. Sorry. Well, you're not raising your hand up very. Yeah. Listen to your sister in Christ as she rebukes you for not raising your hand up too far. <clears throat> I want you to look at the last page in this sermon booklet. This is a chart. Now, you've seen this chart before when we went through foundational framework. But I want you, if you wouldn't mind, please take the time to look over and get familiar with this chart. And here's the reason why. I'll go over this again. There are only two belief systems in the world. Satan would like you to think that there's thousands. Okay? There's not. There's only two. And they affirm one of two things. You have a common starting point that you can deal with. You either deal with the fact that there is a God who created all things. And everything else is a creation that is automatically subservient to him. 
Okay, that is the creator-creature distinction. We've talked about this. The other view is what is known as the continuity of being. The continuity of being is, is that if men and women would just try hard enough, that they would eventually become godlike. Or a frog is a platypus, is a whale, is a person, is a snake. I don't know. Maybe you know some guys that are snakes. But, but the continuity of being paradigm is wrong. Now, let me walk with you through this real quick so that you understand. Uh, and real quick, who was here whenever Charlie Clough came last year and taught? Okay, so you're here. Uh, if you have not heard his framework series, I have four copies of it back there. It's about 224 lessons. They're all on MP3. They're free. Take them. Listen to them. Greatest, I learned more listening through that series than I ever did in Bible college and seminary combined. I'll go ahead and tell you. Yes, the government has a lot of my money. Uh, not too happy about that. That was free. Learned my lesson, okay? So, continuity of being. How do we hear about this? Well, number one, we deal with myths. There are myths that people have, whether it be Greek and Egyptian gods, which are actually demons. And it's important to remember this. Anytime that you're dealing with an idol in Scripture, or you're dealing with somebody who's taking the time to fashion an image. And sometimes the word idol, especially in the Old Testament, can be compatible with the concept of a graven image. So it's somebody actually had to get the raw material, put the tools to it, fashion and manipulate it in order to look like something. Okay, That idea did not come out of nowhere. That idea has been planted in the mind, or impressed upon them by the revelation of a demon, which is a fallen angel, which is one of the ones that rebelled against God. And if we search the Old Testament, what we actually find out is, is that the angels have been given allotted positions to spiritually oversee sections and kingdoms and places within the world. And they will be judged, eternally speaking, for either their righteous ruling over, or their encouragement of sinful promotion, I don't know what else to say, as far as how people run this world. And usually what you find is it's in common ways. Injustice, uh, the widows are not looked after and cared for. Orphans are done away with. It's just very basic things that these demons have allowed to go on, and God is building his case in the spiritual realm against them. So all these manifestations of these myths have an origin, and all of the origins are sinful in nature. You also have the fact of pagan worships. When I was over here going through orientation for the maximum uh, security facility across the highway here, they actually have a pagan service. What do they worship? Three? No, themselves. If they worship themselves, that's Satanism. Satanism is not the worship of Satan. Satanism is the worship of self. You just like you a lot. That's what Satanism is. So they have a pagan worship service over there. I'm in tune with the trees, you know. Last night we were watching something and they were talking about Mother Earth. Mother Earth's doing all these things. Mother Earth ain't doing nothing. Okay, everybody remember this. How about philosophy? People like this because it's intellectually stimulating. Naturalism. What that is is that matter has always been, or it's also the concept of if I can't taste it, touch it, smell it, hear it, see it, it doesn't exist. 
So anything else that would be abstract or considered supernatural is completely off the table from the get-go. Darwinian thought. Things evolve from one thing over to another. And most importantly, when we talk about philosophy, we talk about self. That's ultimately what it is. How much can we think and how many webs can we spin in order to rationalize our existence apart from an almighty God and make ourselves more than what we are? Is it nice to be somebody? Has anybody in here ever had the chance to be somebody? And I mean like that people recognized. Yeah, Pizza Hut Employee of the Month, October 1994, right here. (laughs) I was somebody. Not only did I get a small plaque, I got my name up on a a little plaque that everybody could see. It's mine. I wouldn't have trusted any of the food I put out there, but I was Employee of the Month. I don't know if you guys know this. This is kind of goofy. I feel stupid talking about it. I used to be in music magazines. Did you guys know that? My band would come out with a CD and there would be a review that would go on in a, in a magazine alternative press or something like that. And, and, and we, you know, of course, we were freaked out that this was happening. So we're going and we're buying these magazines going, oh, my gosh, we're so crazy cool now. We weren't. We were losers. Driving around the country in a little Durango, pulling a U-Haul that was packed full of junk. That's what we were doing. But when all that went away, that was hard. And I thought I was somebody. And I was actually nobody. I was nobody the whole time. But whatever I thought I had, once it was gone, it was difficult. You wonder why child stars have such a problem. Because that's adrenaline compared to what I was dealing with. That was silliness. I don't know. It's hard to separate from that. Because when you start to feel that you have some sort of worth in the eyes of other people, and you are just too cool for school, it's tragic when that's taken away. And what did we do in that process? I guarantee you we made an idol of ourselves. We're more than just ordinary. How about Eastern religions? There are many answers, many paths. Maybe you're getting like a Tibetan monk that's wearing slightly a robe in the middle of 30 below weather in the lotus position with his hand up like this. And you're like, how come this guy doesn't have a coat on? And But he like, it's because he thinks himself warm. Weird things like that. There are many ways, kind of people that want to set their houses up so that it has the proper feng shui. Anybody feng shui people here? Everybody's like, what is he saying? Is he speaking in tongues? No. It's this concept of setting up your living room or whatever so it has greater tranquility. It's weird. I don't know. Many answers. If you're looking for enlightenment, it's within. You just have to unlock it. You have to think a certain way or do without certain things or cut yourself off from these people. And all of a sudden, this enlightenment will be unlocked within you. Also, liberal theology. Now, we're most concerned with these. And what that is, there's no truth. God doesn't really exist. He's not really there. We don't really believe it. It's all about how I feel. Well, I don't feel that this would work this way, and so therefore, that's the truth for me. We live in an insanely subjective society. What are the problems with these outpourings of this one belief system that is anti-God trying to make people God? Well, the basic tenet is, is that nature equals man, equals animals, equals little g, gods. This is why I'm not a big fan of the Jehovah's Witnesses. That's why I'm not a big fan of the Mormons. Do you realize for the Mormons, they believe that God was once a man and that he just got better as time went on until he achieved a God-like status. 
And if they will just abide by what they've been told is right, they will eventually achieve. Well, here's the thing. The men will achieve a godlike status. And you ladies get to be eternally pregnant birthing planets for all of existence. I'm thankful that nobody's rushing out the door to sign up with the Mormons. What's the means that is often used? Well, it's transmutations. One thing becomes another thing, becomes another thing, becomes another thing. It's mixing, it's piecing together. What is salvation? Get this. All modes are works-based. How do you know that a belief system is false? It's works-based. And that doesn't matter if they're asking for works up front or works after the fact. If you have to bring works to the table in any way in order to be found acceptable before God and avoid eternal punishment, that is a false system. Satan loves this. Our friend across the way here, John Piper, he is a works salvation preacher. He will tell you, you cannot go to heaven by faith alone. You must be killing sin. And if you are not constantly killing sin in your life to the end of your life, you were never really saved. That says a lot more about what I'm doing to save myself rather than what Jesus did to save me. That's a scary place. And so that's what I'm telling you. It's threaded throughout Christianity. Satan is slick. It looks holy. It looks pious. It looks reverent. It looks godly. It's scary. If you want some interesting things to research sometime, check out what's going on with Beth Moore right now. Scary stuff. And now that she's being called to task about it, that, that Bible-believing Christians want to know, what do you believe about this subject of homosexuality? It's the greatest tap dance I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. It's all works-based. Acceptance is based on submission. you got to pray a certain way. you got to bow to a certain God. Yeah, you can only eat a certain food. We have to make a certain journey. We have to go and say so many things repetitively. It seeks to substitute for divine revelation in every aspect of life. And what it does is it suppresses truth. And what is the ending point? It's all by chance. It's all impersonal fate. And here's what you find. Nobody's responsible. Everybody's a victim. Tell me that the continuity of being mentality is not alive and well amongst teenagers and college students today. They're also amongst the people in the late 20s and 30s and 40s, and 50s, I'm going there, and 60s, and 70s, and 80s, 90s, yes. We are all guilty. We all at some point would love to play the victim so that we don't have to take responsibility for the problem of personal sin. Now, how is God different? Number one, there's one God. That's it. There's one God, unified, but yet three in person. One in essence, three in person. Very different from many gods. What we have is the testimony of Israel. The fact that we have 39 books that demonstrate God's stretching out of his hand to want to gather a people to him, having a personal, ongoing, loving, vibrant, blessing full, amazing, grace, cool, remarkable, all this good stuff, relationship 
with them constantly. We have a testimony of who he is all the time. And we have him making a contract, a covenant with them. Something that he will do that's going to abide by the truthfulness of his word. How do you know there's a God? I know there's a God for one reason. The fact that Israel exists, there's a God. He is holding fast and keeping true to his word. He has not let them be stamped out. He has a future for them. And the fact that they were gathered back into the land should have made everybody perk up real quick because they were gone for almost 1,800 years. God is faithful to his word. What we have that is different is we have the Bible. This is not just a book. It is the book. It is not just a book written by a bunch of old guys who were all male chauvinists who decided that they were going to have it their way. I actually watched a 15-minute talk of a woman who was telling me, not telling me directly, but telling me that actually all the passages that deal with the dangers of homosexuality, those are actually all queer-friendly passages. I watched it, just couldn't believe it. I had to listen to some of the things she was saying twice because I thought, surely she didn't say that. Yep, she said that. The Bible is the authoritative truth. It does not take well with mental gymnastics. It doesn't take well with semantic word changes or redefinitions. It defines truth. And here's the reason why people don't like this, and this is the whole thing we're dealing with in Romans 1, because it's an authority problem. I'm not even out of my introduction yet. Here's a dirty word, fundamentalism. Here's what fundamentalism means. Maybe not everybody defines it this way, but here's what the actual word means. That you hold firm to God's revealed word as the inerrant, infallible truth, period. That's what it means to be a fundamentalist. That you actually believe that what this Bible has said, what this book has proclaimed about any given subject that it touches, it tells the truth about it. That's what it is. That's what it means. So what are the basic tenets? Number one, there's a creator and there are creatures. Number two, what's the means? There's an order to things. It's not one becomes another, becomes another, becomes another. It's that we all reproduce after our own kind. Genesis 1 and 2 go to painstaking repetition and letting us know exactly how this unfolds. There is no confusion. There's just an unwillingness to accept what's clearly there, and that's the problem that we have. It's authoritative, and now I've got to think differently than how I want to think. And this is the call of the Old Testament. Tear down your idol and turn to the living God. That is the whole point. So salvation. Salvation is provided by grace. We don't deserve it. Not a single person in here deserves to be saved. None. God could put his hands in his pockets and let us all go and nobody could say a word against him. Well, that's not fair. Actually, it's totally fair. If God were to allow for the entire human race of existence to go to hell, he is being completely consistent with his truth. This is what you deserve, of course. Bye. And we would all go young. Why? Because we all sin quickly. It's by his grace undeserved favor it's appropriated by faith faith is what makes the difference what is faith faith is a confident assertion about something do you believe it or don't you believe it that's what it is you either do or you don't believe what the bible said about jesus christ 
And notice, only Jesus saves you. That is the only object of salvation. Only he is God. Only he has not lied. You cannot save yourself. Only he can do the work necessary. Only he has done the work already and offers it to you and I freely. And his work, perfect work, can be appropriated to yourself by believing in him only. You can't do anything to bring to the table to trade, pawn off, earn from him, try to buy back, write him a check for so much. No, it won't buy you anything. He's already purchased it all. So this is the difference between these two systems. The continuity of being is idolatry. If you want to write that on there, maybe to the side, idolatry. That's exactly what that is. The creator distinction, creator-creature distinction, is Yahweh over all. He alone is the creator. What is the ending point? We have a personal sovereign. That means he has the right to rule. He's in charge. God. And there is human personal responsibility, and we all have a moral obligation to him. Now, I wanted to go over this chart because when you start thinking about idolatry, competing ideas, other people's opinions, when they're telling you how they think something should be or how it ought to go down, you can immediately pull this out and start checking the grid of where their belief system is. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and you will find out about what people believe about God quickly. Now let's get into the sermon. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. He is unable to sin or do wrong. He has no pleasure in evil ever. So this exchange has taken place, and what has replaced the incorruptible God is an image that is in the form of corruptible human beings, or animals, or reptiles. Doesn't matter what it is. Last week we saw the Sphinx. Sphinx has been around for a long time, hasn't it? Guess what? The nose came off. The rest of it's going to come down at some point. It all deteriorates. It's all temporal. We trust in a lot of things that are not going to last. It's one reason why I like watching American Pickers back when we had cable. Right? They get to go out and buy all this stuff, and I don't have to waste any of my money doing it. I just get to watch what they're doing. Some of these guys, you really need to sell this Harley. It's in pieces. <laughs> he almost has a coronary trying to think about whether or not he wants to take $5,000 for a broken motorcycle. What is wrong with people? What is going on in people's minds? Insane. Anyway, so here's the problem. Verse 24. Because this exchange has taken place, therefore, God did what? Gave them up. Does it say that God gave up on them? No. In fact, the idea here more is he handed them over. It's like when you're holding your child's hand and your child wants to go, go, there's a swing. You don't understand. I'm going to die if I don't get on that swing and go so high. Let me go. Anybody tell where I've been doing lately? (laughs) And finally, you hand them over to the swing. Let them go. That's what your heart desires most. Because this exchange has been made in the lives of people, God hands them over. Look what it says. He gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. That word means filthy, dirty, refuse. It is moral 
corruption. And from what 26 and 27 tell us, it is actually sexual immorality is what it is. You ever thought that maybe if God didn't have his hand upon you, that the deepest recesses of your heart right now is a complete sexual degrading of your own person? Doesn't matter with who. You're just going to be driven by something that is insatiable to constantly put yourself in that situation. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell this. We're not going to be on time today. Everybody just lose that facade, okay? You used to have something called Corinthianizing in the first century. And what was going on was the town of Corinth had this temple courtyard. It was kind of an open courtyard stones all around and this is where all the temple prostitutes male or female hung out they actually still had distinctions back then between the two and in doing so you could go and you could worship in whatever way that your heart was lusting after in that situation doing whatever but what was crazy about this courtyard in Corinth and this just goes to to show you what goes on with the human body there was a hole in the middle of the courtyard it was probably about 30 feet deep or so. It was stone, bricked in, or all the way down. And from these people participating in this immorality over and over and over again, they would actually make themselves physically convulse from the sin that they were participating in, and they would crawl over to this hole, and they would vomit down this hole. And then they would go back to doing what they're doing. But the degrading of their bodies actually made them so physically sick that they couldn't keep it together. And so as any good pagan temple does, it allows for you to throw up the contents of your stomach along with everybody else that would be crawling over the hole to do that as well so that you could get back to business and worship your God. Doesn't that sound completely foreign of Yahweh, the creator of all things? Isn't that just like Satan? Take what God created is good and to abuse it to the point of self-destruction. Guys, we can't afford to live like this anymore looking at the world. We can't see pieces of it, but we really don't want to see it. We've got to look at it head on. When we peer into all of this darkness that we've got in front of us, and we're all going to have to deal with it as people, we're humanly responsible in relation to it. But the responsibility that we have is not to condone it and say that it's okay, and I just don't want to offend anybody and all this stuff. Get all this politically correct garbage out of the church and declare the fact that God is God. He has spoken. Jesus Christ is the coming King, and He will judge the living and the dead, period. And salvation is only found in His name. Done. We don't have to be jerks. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to hate other people. I hate them. A lot of times that's the reason why people find themselves in those types of situations where they've raised up other things in the place of God. It's not because God wronged them. It's because some people in the church off-put them. Now, I don't have Facebook, but I hear things about how Christians act towards people who don't believe in Christ on Facebook. In fact, one of the reasons why I got off of Facebook was because of that. I got tired of Christians acting like pagans to pagans, hating them for their views. We forget the notion that people are lost. Lost. Everybody know what that means? Lost. That means I can't find my way. That means I'm reaching out trying to grab for something, but regardless of what I grab a hold of, I'm still blind. That's what that means. 
It means separated from God. No life. And for some reason, we've come in that we think that their Christology needs to be perfect, that they need to have a bachelor's degree in systematic theology before we'll allow them to know the gospel and we'll even dare to try to love them with it. The church is too silent, guys. The church is too silent about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? I'm just going to preach my sermon next week. The church is too silent because we have a whole world that has made an exchange and has deemed inferior things greater than the incorruptible God. Maybe it's because we've lost sight of what perfection is. We've never seen it. But let me tell you this, we've come in contact with it. And the more that our minds are renewed about it, the better off we'll be. Instead, God lets the hand go and lets His creation begin to play with the things of our own hearts. Everybody remember Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is what? It's not just wicked, it's what? Desperately. Anybody know anybody that's desperate? Sometimes I'll tell my son something, and he'll go, Ugh. like, that sounds so desperate. Must have learned that from his mom. What in the world did they come from? <laughs> and she knows, because she'll look at me, and she'll be like, he got that from you. <laughs> it's desperately wicked. You know what that tells you? It tells you that your heart is desperate to sin. The heart is desperate to sin. I don't care much for Martin Luther's theology, but he had a really great quote. He said, if we just let people follow their hearts, they would run as fast as they could straight into hell. Guys, answers are not found in us. In fact, the audacious claim of, well, I think, put the brakes on. Stop it right there. Stop. And ask yourself the question, why? Where did that come from? Because what we're getting ready to do is probably instigate an acceptable sin that everybody thinks that we're wise from. We're not wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If my answer has not come forward with God is the starting point, the best thing I could do in any situation is to shut my mouth. I have nothing to say apart from the Creator God. Now watch what happens here. It's the lust of their hearts to impurity. And notice, so that, remember, when you're following this train of thought, especially in Paul's writings, you see the so that there. He's getting ready to give you a reason or something that manifests itself as a result of this idea. And notice what it says here. So that their bodies, that's your flesh, okay? We're made up of spirit, soul, and flesh. So it's the flesh. Their bodies would be dishonored. Dishonored is a good word. I think, it's a, I think it's a kind word here. The idea is actually shameful. One of the ways that I know that the end is coming for America is that we have no shame anymore. There's no shame. There used to be, I have this sin, but I'm going to conceal it. Okay? Now it is, I have this sin, and you better accept it. And you dare not call it sin. How dare you say that I'm wrong? How dare you say that I can't do 
what I feel is right. And then we go back to that whole scenario. But you don't know about the love that we have. And so we use love and acceptance and tolerance. And these are the great throwing stars. Pagans. Thought it was funny. Anybody know what, if I say the word Babylon B, does anybody know what that is? Some of you know it's a satirical site for Christians. Actually said that for Pride Month, one Bible translator came out with a translation of the Bible where every time pride's mentioned in the Bible, it's in rainbow letters. I thought that was hilarious. It's not real. It's satirical, okay? It's not, it's not a real thing. But that's where we're at. Pride! 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 Pride. When's the last time we had a humility walk somewhere? Humility parade? Anybody? No. All decency is gone. All decency is out the window. But here's the interesting thing, guys. Think about this real quick. This isn't anything different than what God's been trying to tell us since the garden. There is no hope but Jesus Christ. None. And every time that we think to try to lean into something that we think is valuable, worthy, acceptable, we appreciate it, you're going to find that the satisfaction you're trying to have in those moments is far diminished from what only God and His Word can minister to your heart. It may be satisfying flesh. It may be satisfying the mind. It cannot satisfy the longing of your heart. Sometimes we make this mistake. We compartmentalize. Guys, doesn't it drive you nuts when women compartmentalize things? Have I shared this with you before? Okay? Now, I'm not talking about my wife. I'm talking about all you guys' wives, okay? But you ever had a fight or something go wrong? Argument, something like that? And then you get the whole, we'll talk about it tomorrow. And she's asleep. You're sitting there going, how'd she do that? It's like she just went, I'm not going to think about it right now. Flip the switch. What are we doing? We're obsessing over it. I don't think I was wrong here. I thought I handled it right. I thought I was kind. I thought I was good. The world loves to do this. It's almost like that there's a shelf where we can take this truth that God is screaming at us. We can put it on the shelf. And I'll go ahead and tell you what the shelf is labeled. The shelf is labeled Sunday, 9 a.m. to whenever Jeremy sits down. Okay, that's what that shelf is labeled. And that's where truth too often goes. And then the other six and a half days of the week are lived in a way as if God didn't even exist. Sometimes we wonder why people aren't coming to Christ. I don't know that we've given them a reason to. I don't know that our relationship with the Lord is so vibrant and that we are so expectant upon the Spirit to work as we're told He will in the church. That's what the book of Acts is about, is it not? It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through God's people. And because we aren't expectant or desiring to have that personal presence of His daily in our life leading us along, or we think that's just fairy tales or Lord of the Rings or something like that, and we've put a distance in between us and that, Our faith has just become a set of rules in order to subscribe to. No wonder people have put it on the shelf. If it's rendered not living, why would dead people want it? 
Is your relationship with the Lord living and active? Is it vibrant? Do you have joy? Man, that's one word that's missing. Do you have joy? As far as your mouth is concerned, Psalm 145, will you speak of God's excellencies? How does our lives look compared to that of David, who was constantly in worship with the Lord? Right? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, right? We know that song. Everybody know that song? I miss that song. It's a good song. Anybody hate that song? It's making sure. See, my opinion doesn't always matter. But still, David would rather spend one day in the presence of the Lord than have a prolonging of days in a place without him. Does that resonate with you? Or does that seem foreign? I have to ask myself, because here's one thing that I'm tired of seeing. And maybe I'm the only person. I'm tired of seeing the Church of America being so concerned with being cool and acceptable that they stopped being alive. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When we talk about the doctrine of regeneration, it makes us alive. It takes that which was separated from God and makes us live again. I don't know about you, but I want this church to live. And not just live eternal life, abundant life, vibrant life, overflowing life. I change the little things in the bathroom. Next time you go potty, make sure you read it. Because I want it to be an encouragement to you. Why are we about loving people to life in Christ? Because either lost people need to get saved or saved people need to get saved. Either lost people need eternal life or saved people need abundant life. But regardless of what it is, we are always in need of life, more life, and that life is only found in Jesus Christ, period. That's the reason it's about it. And people are worth it. But we have got to be the church that is worth going to. And the only thing that makes us a church worth going to, coming to, visiting, staying, camping out in is one thing. And that is the fact that God's presence rests here. Nothing else. The thing that scares me about idolatry is you can find it creeping up everywhere. The world was never won by capitulating, by bowing to its wants and needs. It was never about softening the message. Softening the message of a sinful person destined for the lake of fire in desperate need of a Savior with no solution found in themselves and only Jesus Christ to save is what saves people when they believe. But you want to cloud that message, mold it over, smooth it out, make it not say what it says, and still share something like that? You've saved no one. Why did you even waste your breath telling them about something that didn't really save? The problem is sin. The heart is overcome with idols. The greatest one that needs to be overthrown is self. And the only other person that can overthrow it is Christ. Not us. Not manipulating words. Not trying to be smooth talkers. Not trying to be, dare I use the word, relevant. God doesn't need our help. So he gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored, shamed, degraded among them. And here's the reason why. For 
they exchanged, there's the word again, verse 23, verse 25. They exchanged, here's what they exchanged. And maybe if you've got a pen, this might help you see the relation in your Bible. They exchanged A, the truth of God, for B, a lie. A lie. How many people like to be lied to? Any Fleetwood Mac fans in here? Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. Anybody know any lies that were sweet? No? Me either. Nobody likes to be lied to. In fact, lies are the very things that bring division in the greatest and closest relationships. But the world's decision, when left up to themselves, yes, I know God is there. Yes, I see the handiwork of his creation. Yes, he must be all-powerful. Yes, he must be deity. Yes, he must be the creator, and I must be his creation. But I'm going to take everything that I know about that and cast it away because something that's not true satisfies the want of my heart. Truth of God, A, for the lie, B. Now watch this. And worshiped and served the creature, B, put it there, B, that's the lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, A. Does everybody see that? I'm exchanging the fact that I know that Yahweh is my creator because I would much rather worship something that is manageable. I'd much rather worship something that is moldable, that I can talk into satisfying the deepest things that I have going on in my personal life right now. The truth that I feel is true. The truth that I feel is true. You believe that college students actually believe that? They spent one or two semesters in a philosophy class, and all of a sudden they are the definers of truth. What has gone on with people? I'm deeply concerned about the arrogance of society. I'm concerned about that arrogance becoming, ultimately, idolatry. People worshiping self. They're all about them. They're all about them. It doesn't take long to figure it out. It's evident. But here's the, here's the fear. The fear is, is, yes, it's evident, but because we want that too, we accept it. It becomes okay. It's okay to, to be like that because then that gives me permission to be like that too. I can indulge in myself and I can follow my own whims. I'm so thankful that the little YOLO has gone away. Y-O-L-O, you only live once. People used to do stupid things and they'd go, YOLO! Right? Probably some girl with her hand on her hip like they always do. You know who I'm talking about. It's every girl you've ever seen on Facebook. They're all making that, YOLO, you only live once. I do that with ice cream, but not much else. Not only is that theologically incorrect, but notice what it is. It's an excuse. I don't remember where I was the other day. It was Friday. I was somewhere. Guy had a big tattoo right here on his forearm, which you know he couldn't have been saved, but he had a big tattoo right here on his forearm. (laughs) Said, only God can judge me. I was trying to get through the crowd so I could go talk to that guy. I'm like, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Only God can judge you. 
Isn't that the message? And see, here's what's crazy is that's, that's the message that people affirm. And the reason why they do that is because what they're telling everybody else, don't judge me. Only God can. Do we begin to understand what the judgment of God is like? You know what the correct conversation to have with somebody like that is? You're correct. Only God can judge you. But here's the thing. Only God can save you. And he will save you. He can save you. He will save you. Let's be clear on the gospel. Let's do this real quick and then I'll close. I didn't even plan on saying any of this. John 5. And by the way, we noticed we've got a lot of new people here. Real quick, the reason why everybody was giggling about my tattoo comment is because I'm covered with tattoos underneath this nice Sunday attire that you see me parading this morning. Jesus doesn't care that I'm punk rock. It's okay. Some of you wondered what was wrong with me playing bass up there. That's it. John 5, 24. If you have the opportunity to share only one verse with a person, and I think that needs to be another question you think about. Am I actively looking for opportunities that the Holy Spirit is opening for me to share with people because they're so lost, depraved, full of idols, not wanting to accept him, not wanting to see him? Am I presenting myself before God to be used for his holy purposes, to be used for actually righteous things? This verse, I'm not kidding you, I've used this verse years, 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 years. Probably the best verse of presenting the gospel. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, which means we got something to tell him, right? We got to tell him about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We got to tell him why he died. We're all sinners. We all have no hope before a holy God because we are separated from him. And because we are separated, we are on a path that does not go where he goes. It does not lead to him. It leads to a place called the lake of fire. We are to be judged because we are wrong. Now, that is not popular at all. But here's the thing. It's true. Okay? So they need to hear the word. They need to hear the fact that in order to get on or to be with the Father is accepting the work that Jesus has done in our place. He died in our place. So hearing the word about this, notice that's number one. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me Don't make the condition for salvation anything other than what the Bible makes it. Let me go ahead and state this. The Gospel of John is the only book in the entire Bible that was ever written for the purpose of leading lost people to salvation in Jesus Christ. And you learn this in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, okay? It's a whole reason why he wrote this book. John never uses the word repent ever in his gospel. Not one time. Not one time. Why is that? Because repentance is a truth encounter that brings you to the point of a changing of your mind about something. Well, isn't believing repenting? No, it's not. It's believing. It's having a confident conviction about what is being presented to you as true. If there's a repentance that takes place, it's when you're getting the information about the gospel. But repentance is not belief. So you can repent before you believe. We actually have instances of that in Scripture. Maybe it's when you come to know more about Jesus Christ, God's Word, 
end times, how the church should operate, whatever it is later, and you need to repent from the wrong thinking that you had after you become saved. People repent after they come to know Christ. But believing in Christ is not synonymous with repentance. There is a repentance towards God, yes, and that happens to people before they are saved. But to be saved, you believe, 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 believe. 98 times in the Gospel of John, he uses the word believe. Not one time does he use repentance. That should be very telling to us, okay? So notice, you hear the Gospel message, and the person believes. They have what? What's it say next? Eternal life. In fact, that's a good way that you can figure out do they, that they understand. Have you heard the word about Jesus? You remember when we were talking about what Jesus has done for you because of sin? Yes, I, I remember that. Do you believe it? Are you convinced that it's true? Yes, I am. What do you have? And then wait. If they say eternal life, they've got it. They get it. And if they have believed in Christ at that moment, they are saved. I don't feel saved. It's okay. You are saved. Thank the Lord our feelings don't trump what God said is true. They are saved at that moment. And look, just as though there's no confusion, and does not come into what? Judgment. Judgment. The very judgment we were having to tell them about as a result of their sin is gone. You're no longer on that path. You are no longer on the way to be condemned because you have not believed. You have believed, and now you have life. Notice, does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. You guys realize the gospel is that simple, that clear. People can know that they're saved. Well, you can maybe be saved, but not know it. You can know that you're saved. Eternal life is forever. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are saved. Period. Period. Don't make it any more complicated. You're getting ready to come encounter as soon as you walk out these doors with a dying world. Some places are dying more than others. Anybody going to Walmart after this? You never know what you're going to come in contact with, man. But here's what you know. If you're prepared with John 5.24, whatever godlessness, whatever idolatry that you see, whatever fact that God let people fulfill the lust of their hearts and you can tell by the things that they're participating in or glorying in or talking about or valuing or how proud that they've become or how they're making a lot about themselves or just the attitude or way that they carry themselves. You don't have to search around the pharmacy to find a clue. You just have to give them one solution. And that's Jesus. Now, let me ask you this and then I'll pray. What do you think this church would look like? if all of us simply had a commitment to say, God, this week, use me, please, for your purposes. I have my verse I need. I know how I came to faith in Christ. I know what to be on the lookout for. And so God instead of me being so concerned about how I'm going to orchestrate my week and where I'm going to go and how I'm going to act and what I'm going to do and when I'm going to leave and all this, just simply help me throw my watch in the toilet. Instead, say, Lord, what do you want? How can I be yours for your purposes? 
You want to talk about what it is to taste abundant life? That's getting your pinky toe out there. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we have so many disguises that Satan has cast upon this world. But we know that they have a common denominator in self. Self-promotion, self-indulgence, pride, self-assertion, self-reliance, self-awareness, self-sufficiency. All these things are a lie from the enemy. For us to think that we could be anything in and of ourselves apart from you is in the realm of insanity. You are our creator. You are the one who sustains us. You supply for us. You guard us, protect us, love us, provide for us. You've given a savior for us. You heap an abundance of grace upon us. God, maybe all of our hearts right now need to have a deep appreciation cultivated within. Maybe we didn't realize how proud we were when we walked in the door. How we thought that our rights were the most important thing. It's not how Jesus would have handled it. Father, I pray that you give us a great contemplation on all the beautiful and wondrous things that your word unfolds for us speaks of your greatness and your glory that you alone are worthy of praise and honor and worship that if there's any credit that needs to be made known it's the fact that our lord our god is great that jesus christ is king father may we be more and more convinced of this even as we leave we go out into the world as we serve as missionaries, as light bearers with the gospel message. Father, let us trust you and present ourselves to you as instruments for your righteousness. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.